Hey everyone, and welcome to the Been There, Do This podcast. In every episode, we will hear the stories of leaders who have found a way to integrate their passion into a better way to do business. I'm your host, Josh Joel, business and employment lawyer at Stanton Law. I'm so excited to introduce you to our Been There, Do This sponsor, Stanton Law. Since November 2011, Stanton Law has sought to serve, advise, and guide clients of all sizes in a practical and efficient way. Now in its second decade, Stanton Law continues to counsel individuals and companies on legal issues surrounding every scope of business. Whether you're an entrepreneur, small business owner, or the CEO of a major organization, if you are ready to take your company to the next level, let Stanton Law provide business solutions to minimize your legal problems by visiting stantonlawllc.com. That's stantonlawllc.com. Welcome to the Been There, Do This podcast, where we bring you the stories of business leaders who have found a way to integrate their passion into a better way to do business. I'm your host, Josh Joel, attorney at Stanton Law. You may have noticed that the podcast has a new name and a new identity, and you're right. We have rebranded, and we hope you're going to stick with us along the way. In conjunction with the rebrand of the Stanton Law Podcast to the Been There, Do This Podcast, uh, I wanted to welcome today Todd Stanton, the principal of Stanton Law. Uh, I invited him to today's episode because the whole purpose of this new podcast is to bring out the inspiring stories of entrepreneurs and how they found a better way to do business. And where else to look but right here on my doorstep at our own firm of Stanton Law, which is just a very non-conventional, non-traditional law firm, and has found a different and better way to do the business of practicing law. Uh, although in the last season, we dug a little bit into Todd's personal story, uh, this season, we're going to focus a little more on taking a deeper look into his business story and how and why he started law. So Todd, welcome to the program, and we're glad you're here today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to see how this the new look goes. I'm also very excited about it, and we're going to have a lot of really awesome uh, guests coming on uh, to talk about some amazing uh, better ways to do business. But let's first start right here at home with Stanton Law. So we see today in uh, 2022, which it is already, a law firm that's clearly driven by a mission, and that is to cultivate a non-traditional entrepreneurial law firm in which we create and maintain fulfilling, balanced, and sustainable lives in and out of work. And uh Aside for the word salad that you created with your mission statement, I'm curious, was that always the goal in starting Stanton Law? What, to have word salad? No, to have a mission statement. God, you already got me. Uh, to, have a, <laughs> to have a mission statement as you just described it, or I described it. No, it wasn't. I mean, I think it was always there. Uh, the, the The mission statement came out of Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why. And I don't believe that either... Cynic or the way that we did it would say that you articulate a why and then go do it. I think that you have to get going for a little bit and recognize what the purpose is. And at least for us, our mission statement was to articulate what we were already doing. So to, to crystallize uh, the emphasis on a one life concept, right, where uh, my work is part of my day, right, that I'm that I'm I'm, I'm working to live, not living to work. All of those sorts of cliches started to fold into the idea of articulating our purpose and our mission statement, our why. So it was really, it was articulating what was already in place rather than uh, coming up with something and then building a company around it. So when you first started out Stanton Law about 10 years ago, uh, what was the problem that you were actually trying to solve? 
There were a couple. Uh, I think that from for people who didn't hear the the earlier podcast, I was at a, a big law firm, uh, fifteen hundred global lawyers, and it was two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and I was starting to ask what it meant to make partner there. And our very good practice leader uh, from Kansas City, Elaine Cook, said, "You're asking the wrong question." She said, "Don't ask what it takes to make partner." You need to ask Stanton what it takes to develop a practice to make partnership inevitable. And reframing that, reframing that question led me to the conclusion that all lawyers are self-employed and I needed to find a way to keep myself busy. I needed to find a way to build my practice. And if it worked out that that practice stayed at Brian Cave, it would be as a partner. As an employment lawyer in a big uh, a general practice firm, that's that's a difficult road to hoe. My roots are, I'm not going to pour them out, but they're not erudite. They are not silver spoon. And my contacts were not among the groups and practitioners uh, who would be handing out uh, $500 associate hour uh, employment work like Brian Cave was charging. There's reasons to have those lawyers involved. Uh, I knew I was probably not one of them. Uh, So I went out to start my own firm to provide for myself to build my practice and service clients for whom large general practice employment law firms really weren't an option. It was just too expensive, too much much horsepower. So was there a, a trigger point that made you realize one day, aside from that conversation with that partner, but a certain trigger point that made you realize that now's the time to jump ship and become an entrepreneur myself? Yes, although I didn't necessarily think of it as becoming an entrepreneur. I thought it was more that I was going out to start a legal practice. I didn't, I knew I was starting a business. And so from that standpoint, sure. But I think that the word entrepreneur has much more to it, which we can talk about in a minute. The the time that it hit me that I wanted to go out and start my own firm was when I was asking other people who had gone out to start their own firm or move to a non-traditional practice. Taylor English would be the one that leaps to mind. Every one of them that I spoke with said that when I asked them what they would do differently, every one of them, 12 for 12, said that they would have done it earlier and that they wish they had started their uh, business, started their practice the smaller practice earlier than they did. And then with that, I also looked around and I noticed that it was a one-way street, that everybody who left the nest of big law uh, and went to start other things in non-traditional firms, which is a term I use very broadly, right? Anything but big law is what I say a non-traditional firm is. I noticed that they never came back. And that was very telling to me that people found a better way to live. And I think that you would echo that. I think that that's been your experience in the, uh, you know, coming up on two years that you've been here, that the, that it's, it's a different way to live. It's a better way to live. And I, I noticed that as well. And then I think that the last part that really kicked me out of the nest was when I realized that I could always go back. Mm -hmm. That if I went out and tried to do this, they, Brian Cave or Fisher Phillips or King of Spalding or anybody else was always going to need associate, senior associates, junior partners. They were always going to need that class of folks to get their work done. And if I didn't like or couldn't succeed in a smaller firm world, uh, uh, my own business world, then I could go back and be a W-2 again uh, with a more traditional firm. I did. I, 
people always say to me, I wish I had the guts to go do that. And I say, well, try it. And if it doesn't work, you can always go back. They're going to hire you back as long as you don't burn your bridges. So those three things combined, uh, hearing that it could have been done earlier, seeing that it was a one-way street, and then realizing that I could always go back, where I would say the really the, the breaking points to say, this is the time to do it. So how, how did that process go? So maybe describe the story of Todd Stanton jumping ship, giving his notice, and starting Stanton Law. What did that look like? <laughs> Um, well, I, I'll, I'll give a shout out to Mathesh Patel, who incidentally would be another good one for this podcast. Uh, he currently runs Blue Sky Law, uh, and he's he's had this he's had several iterations of his firm, and it's been it's been fun to watch. Mathesh had left Brian Cave, had gone to work for a non traditional firm, realized that uh, it wasn't rocket surgery and that he could do it. He was. I don't remember if he actually offered me a job, but it was certainly clear that we were courting each other. To go for me to go work for him, and I decided that if I wanted, I was going to do this, I would put my name on the door and go do it. So the switch flipped for me in uh, spring of 2011 uh, after long conversations with my wife, who was uh, uh, working at Home Depot at the time with a, a good W two job, and we decided that this was the time to to make the move. Uh, we had uh, two children, the one infant at the time, and another, I guess, four year old, and we decided this was this was the time to do it. The preparation at the time, since I, when I first started Stanton Law, it was just going to be me working in our house, uh, in the front room of our house. Uh, our business model was uh, I was going to work about 20, 25, bill 20 to 25 hours a week. Uh, we knew what my hourly rate was at the time, and we knew that that was going to generally be the income. I needed a computer. I needed an internet connection and a research service. So we kind of, the expenses were virtually none. It was fairly simple to get started at that point. Uh, it was more convincing my wife and myself that this wasn't going to flop. Right. So so you were really going from seemingly like a very comfortable safety net, the way I see it. I guess it's maybe projecting my own fears, but going from a big, comfortable safety net to a little front room in your house with a computer and your name. That's mm -hmm. it. And, and the skills you had gained along the way. But what would you define as the biggest challenge in those early stages? First, I don't know how long it took before you hired Liz, the first employee here, but what were the challenges that you faced sitting at that desk, working on your own, leaving that safety net and being a solopreneur essentially in that role? Honestly, I don't remember any big challenges in the sense of fears that were there. We had a, we started in November of 2011, and I kind of hung the shingle out. I had two quick referrals right away, learning to how to get the engagement letters out. But I kind of prepared all of that stuff before knowing that knowing that we were going to you know, open one day. So sending those engagement letters out and uh, figuring out the process when it was actual client work was easy but not complicated. And then uh, another client came and had a reduction in force that December. So that immediately gave me a, a pretty good chunk of change uh, headed into January billing. So we were running right away. And the first year of Stanton Law, uh, we actually, I ended up with a higher personal income than I had uh, my last year at, at Bryant Cave. Wow. Uh, that, and that's continued. My income has, has dipped a little bit as we've made, you know, taken on other expenses and invested in the firm. But that was a great start. And I, I think that the any headaches that I recall from those early days were purely admin purely administrative. 
figuring out uh, how to send bills. My wife was doing our books at the time. And so coordinating with her on a Sunday to do the invoicing and to do the time. But it's really not that complicated when it's just one person. When you say we, right, in those early days, this is you and your wife yeah, working you together to build this firm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so, and so uh, I would, in, in those early stages, you have all these administrative things that I, you did not have to do before, I would imagine, at a big law firm because I know what it's like. How did you deal with the overwhelm of, of dealing with something that was not a part of your skill set before? You were a lawyer, not a business owner, and clearly this had to be an evolution. So how did you deal with that? I would find that I would find it very overwhelming. Well, at first, I had lots of time. I was doing a couple hours of client work a day. Uh, my wife would go to work and expect me to do something. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't walk the dog all that time, and I wasn't playing <laughs> golf at the time, so that would have been a different skill set exercise. Did you Did you work more then than you do now? No, yes, but then it, well, <laughs> smart ass. But that. What I remember being the biggest challenge about that, well, it wasn't a challenge, quite honestly. It when when I first went out, everything was so new and so fun, and so whether I was working on a new engagement letter, whether I was revising our template handbook, uh, whether I was uh, tinkering around with the website or writing articles for for our blog at the time, all of it was was mine, and when I when I think back about that, the way that I've articulated it is the, the reason that that is so refreshing is when you're an associate at a big firm, and it may be other jobs too, but I, I was an associate at a big firm, and I had a certain level of responsibility and something a lot less in terms of authority. And then suddenly when I was out on my own, I still had a ton of responsibility, both professional and, and familial. But then I had authority commensurate with that responsibility. And that equilibrium was very freeing, right? That I got to choose what I wanted to do. And I recognized the the benefits of doing it. Or if I took the afternoon off, I didn't get paid, right? So right. it was fun. It wasn't necessarily a challenge. I don't remember being overwhelmed with anything necessarily because it was neat. I didn't mind. It, it's a much different to sit in the evenings and bill your hourly rate, knowing that you're going to put your hourly rate in your pocket versus working at a midtown office tower while your family's home eating, while you're working to put money in somebody else's pocket. Right? Or That's not, I'm sorry. <laughs> or Buckhead. Or, uh, yeah, or Buckhead. So, so, so uh, not that that's bad. I don't mean that disparagingly, but it's a different set of rewards and skill set. I mean, a different set of, of, of considerations. That's all. So you described it as, as new and fun. Mm-hmm. And it's exciting. Well, a, a lot of entrepreneurs or small business owners. I'm not sure that they would describe the slog of starting a new business as new and fun. So how do you, as a small business owner who's starting out, find the the novelty and the funness of, of it? Or is that, or do you think that's part of owning your own business? So I'll give you a long anecdote about this. Uh, three umpires were sitting at a table drinking a beer, young umpire, middle umpire, and a long and an old umpire. Young umpire says, I call them like they are. Middle umpire says, I used to think that, and now I just recognize that I call them like I see them. Old umpire says, I used to think that, I used to think that, and now I realize that it ain't nothing until I call it. So when that feeling comes in, whether it's butterflies, whether it's over, whether it's tiredness, whatever that stuff, that feeling is, starting a business or anything else, I get to decide what I call that. 
you call it a slog. I say it's a, it's, you know, exercise, it's endurance, it's uh, opportunity. We get to characterize it how we want it to be characterized. And to me, I remember that as that hard work as invigorating rather than, than wearisome, tiresome. Right. Mm -hmm. And it probably takes a certain, like you mentioned before, there are people who are not cut out for that. And there are folks that they're very happy working as an associate or as a, as a person, as part of a a small cog and a big, big wheel. And that's fine for them. Mm -hmm. But for you, uh, you had a more of an entrepreneurial spirit. So, so therefore you were dissatisfied with being a small cog and a big wheel. And that's why seemingly that same exact character is what created the funness and the novelty and the newness of starting something out where it was not a slog. This was exciting to you and oh, yeah. fun. Yes. And that's, and that's something I, I think is a huge lesson that, that, that can be learned for any you know small business owner. If you're excited about what you do or, or it's fun for you, right? It's going to be fun and, and, mm-hmm. and you're going to grow. So I'm curious in terms of your own experience, uh, the fact that this was novel and fun, was that a, a major contributor to your growth? in the fact that you really enjoyed what you're doing and, and did that give you, put you in a position to, to be able to sell yourself better as a small business owner? Yes. Uh, the growth came from two points. Uh, I would say the first one is that I recognized how difficult it was to go and find and then do even 25 hours worth of work when you also had to do the administrative side of the business. So that became, that became pretty pronounced about early summer 2012, as I recall. Which, which is how, how long into the practice? Six months, seven six months. months. Okay. Um, that I, the work that I was having to do in order to, to get the income was no longer invigorating and fun for me, right? It was a lot of employee handbooks. It was a lot of employee agreements. And you've known me now for several years. I'm not a very detail-oriented guy. I'm, <laughs> a, I'm much more of a big picture. And so to get, I could go sell the handbook and I could talk that game, but then to have to go do the work became very tedious. Mm-hmm. And then I, we took on a large case. I took on a large case in August of 2012, and it quickly became overwhelming. It wasn't a matter of that the work wasn't fun or anything else. It was the fact that I couldn't get it all done. And as you know, one of the, the balances of a small business is getting the work done and keeping the pipeline full. Right? And that I recognized that it was going to become a very bouncy income statement if you run out and you get a whole bunch of work and then you have a whole bunch of work to do and don't do any marketing. And then the work dries up when that's done. You got to go start all over again. So I was looking to flatten that curve a little bit. And that's where we ended up hiring Liz. Uh, in order to get some of that work done so that I could I could keep on the the sales part. So that was that was the pain point was was that it was no longer fun and you wanted to have fun. <laughs> yeah. Right. And yeah. therefore you pivoted to okay, now this is Stanton Law. It's not just Todd Stanton. It's got to be something a little bigger than than you. So what I guess what was what was the transition uh, maybe describe and maybe you already have between Stanton Law being Todd Stanton and hey, this is something that's bigger than me. I need I need help. And what and what prompted that? I like that it wasn't fun anymore, right? It, it was well, it was becoming less fun. It wasn't that, it, and knowing that I was going to eventually need help, and because of this big case, I had the resources in order to do it. 
Liz and I hit it off pretty well. Uh, she bought into what I was selling with respect to, you know, a new kind of associate model. Uh, we pay our associates by the hour uh, for billable and non-billable productive work. So she was going to be able to control her own income. Uh, I didn't have an hours requirement. I didn't have FaceTime requirements. We didn't have an office at the time. So the 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 really turning point that I knew it was going to be bigger is once you bring on that first employee, you're chasing overhead. And to this day, I'm still chasing overhead, right? We have to spend enough in order to get enough work, right? And we have to cover that next expense. We have to cover that next expense. And Liz was the first, very personable and capable, but the first expense that Stanton Law brought on of any of any amount. So, so it seems like that's the transition from lawyer who's providing legal, legal services to business owner. Oh yeah. You- I didn't know it at the time. Yeah. You're, you're right in retrospect, but this was still, there was no, there was no perp, there was no long-term strategy to this other than to get more work and get that work done and bill it. So addressing a need, uh, a pain yes. that you were in, which you were but, there, but we are still even today cleaning up some of the decisions and directions we took uh, 11 years ago or 10 years ago. You know, some of the I, Liz would say, "What well, do I get a bonus for originating work?" And I'd say, "Sure, twenty five percent. That sounds good." Right? So I mean, did, that fast. So did you and stumble? Then, did you stumble into Stanton Law in in, in terms <laughs> of the model that we're in today, or or at what point did it become a strategic vision? And at what point uh, did you? And I guess how did you go from stumbling along, just okay, well, you need that, let's do that, to okay, now we've got. And maybe describe the process of going from stump because I imagine a lot of small business owners go through this process where they kind of just stumble along until something hits, you know, right. And then they got to figure out the strategic vision. So how did that transition occur? Well, in our case, we stumbled along until something was right. I think a lot of uh, lots of other businesses that come into Stanton Law now stumble along until something goes wrong. <laughs> right. And then they have to do something. We were fortunate enough that in 2000. 13 and 14, I'd have to go back and look at the the dates. Uh, two of my former colleagues came to where they needed needed a position. They weren't they, they needed something less than what they were doing before. Uh, my good friend Carrie Young uh, had had transitioned out of her work uh, in a big buyout. So I was able to bring on a couple other new attorneys at this time. And when we started working together, then we recognized we probably needed an office. So, so just to, to clarify, how how what stage was this? How far? How many years into the practice was two, this? Th- two, two and a half years. No, okay. yeah, two, two and a half years into the practice. So six months in, you realize, oh gosh, I can't do this alone. And then mm-hmm. you bring on Liz. You scoot scoot along for another year and a half or two years or so, and then suddenly things start to coalesce into something bigger. Well, I mean, it would, there were it, Carrie Young and then another uh, uh, young woman, Clancy Mendoza, who it's her birthday today, as a matter of fact. Happy uh, birthday, Both Clancy. of them decided that this would be an interesting way to to work. And I was I was pitching to them that I've got this a platform now that if they want some work, I can give it to them. They can develop their own. We can. We started off with the, the rule of thumb that a self employed lawyer does admin, business development, and and the and the work. So we came up with that comp model that's still in use today at Stanton Law. At the t- about that time, too, we recognized that we needed another another junior person for whom Liz could push down some work. So we went and posted at Georgia State and hired Amy Thompson as our first law clerk. And I think that that was 2014. 
I'd have to yeah. go get because she graduated in 2015. We were in the same class in law school, yeah. Amy and I. So, so that started coming. And then I recognized maybe a little bit before that, that as an employment lawyer, it was not a good idea to have a 28-year-old female coming over to my house to do work. <laughs> so we got an office over on Pylant uh, in Virginia Highlands. And that kept going. Carrie and Clancy both did fine work while they were here. Uh, one of them decided that this wasn't for them. Clancy is an ERISA attorney and didn't have the inclination to go to do business development. And Carrie is a is a very qualified, very capable high-end corporate attorney who got another job offer that uh, her, her compensation was about Stanton Law's annual revenue. So right. she went to she went to go do that. Uh, but at that around that time, I hired Stephanie Everett uh, as a consultant. And Stephanie, to anticipate your next question, was the one who really kind of catapulted us into the into a little bit more of a business uh, rather than a lawyer working in a law practice mindset. So, so let's go into that a little bit because I'm hearing a lot is going on and a lot is percolating around the two to three mm-hmm. year mark. And Todd Stanton is becoming Stanton Law. Stanton Law is becoming something uh, bigger than just Todd Stanton. You have employees. You're, there's more things going on. And you mentioned you 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 had to turn outside for guidance. So what was the trigger point that made you realize I need help and I need to turn to guidance and maybe describe who, how you found Stephanie and, and and what that process was like? Stephanie, I had stayed in touch from her time at Kyle Goldstein. She had been running a law practice with Simon Bloom and Skip Sugarman. She had been running, she was a lawyer, she is a lawyer, uh, among other things, but she decided that she really liked to practice management parts of this. And she started her uh, Everett consulting business, and I was her first client. It was through the conversations with her and uh, the the deal that she gave me in order to get her consulting business off the ground. She needed a client, and I needed somebody to talk about this with. Because remember, I'm a sole member LLC. I don't have a partner with whom to share these decisions or to uh, to bounce this stuff off. Ashley uh, serves that purpose pretty well, but. Uh, having a, a, a spouse as the business partner brings its own complications. It's just difficult to it's difficult to have hard conversations about that because it bleeds over into the personal aspect. Anyway, um, Stephanie served that purpose to start looking at what this was going to be and to put some structure around it and some processes because we really were just making stuff up whenever we needed it to do. Uh, it, it needed to solve a problem. We would just figure something out. So again, it was um, it was pain point. And then here's a solution. Yeah. And Stephanie happened to be in the right place at the right time. And so maybe in that process of, of developing from that small, you know, just you or, and bring Stephanie on board, uh, what were some of the things that were immediately implemented that changed you into Stanton Law, the law firm? Stephanie said that you are not going to make enough money billing your billable hours Right. So Stephanie, had, I still use this with the attorneys we're recruiting. What is your monthly nut? How much do you need to make and what are your income goals? And when we answered that question for Stephanie, it didn't take you know, a beautiful mind to figure out you, your math will not get you there. You need other income streams to get to where you need to go. It cannot just be your billable hours that it, or yours and Liz's billable hours that are going to get you there. It's not enough. So that's where we really started harping on the notion of getting other attorneys in, 
running the law firm, running the practice, running a business and being the platform from which other attorneys can have the autonomy and the balanced life that that I was enjoying at the time. Right? I've never been a burning the midnight oil type lawyer. And that was the that was sort of the impetus. So she figured that out. And then one of the first things she did is you need you're going to need office space. So we moved into our current facility in 2015. Later that year, we had it built out. So we signed the lease late summer and moved in. And then that's been able to get giving us an anchor point uh, from which to, to invite other attorneys into this into this way of life. So it's really creating the receptacle in which to receive the growth, not as opposed to stumbling along and resolving problems. We're here to strategically create a, a place for, for, for there to be growth. Yeah, that was a big inflection point is getting the office and turning it into a real business, not something that was done, you know, purely remotely. And it probably made you feel really good about yourself. Yeah, I like affirmation. And and you like having your name on the front of the building too, probably. You know, it's funny. I don't. Uh, I, I, I sure. really, you can, you can question me. I'm telling you, I don't. It make it does make me uncomfortable, as does the bronze statue that you guys had commissioned. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't like it. The bronze statue um, of me. No, no, no. Different. The good looking one. Mine. <laughs> I don't, it makes me uncomfortable. And when I started Stanton Law, um, if I had known that I was going to grow it to something bigger or if it was going to grow to something bigger, I would have named it something different. I, I don't it. It, it is Pan- panic. It makes me uncomfortable to have in recent presidential experience aside. Beware of the man who builds monuments to himself. Yeah. And I don't I, I'm proud of Stanton Law. Uh, I hope it has a, a good brand and a good reputation, but I would name it something different. Um, it would make it easier to delegate work. It would make it easier to hide when something gets screwed up. It would be lots of different things. And I and it, I don't like being the focus of Stanton Law. It's bigger than that. It's not the worst name in the world. It could be worse. Um, I agree. <laughs> so aside from Stephanie, maybe who are some of the most influential thinkers or mentors that you met along the way, whether in person or books you've read. I know you're a big book reader. Um, so who, who are those people that you found to be influential in your desire to grow your practice and your business? Good question. Uh, and there were two before I started into the, the business book fad. The one that was very personally uh, influential was Richard Branson. And his quote that I don't have a work life and a home life, I have a life. That was always one that I that resonated with me, right? I, I butchered the quote. That's a, the, the sense of it. It's not the exact quote because I would blend the work into my day all the time, right? I mean, it was the exercise or recreation or laundry, then some work and then lunch. And then it was all, it was all intermingled. Lots of conference calls while I was out on walks, right? Doing, doing things that I wanted to do anyway, combining my have tos and my want tos uh, was always part of it. And then that was good for me and for others as we started to grow. But then as we started hiring people, uh, I read an article about Herb Kelleher, the Southwest Airlines CEO, who his entire philosophy was happy employees will make happy customers and an employee first. And you still see that today. We are an employee first organization. I love clients. I need them. But for me, the lawyers who are here, are 
our most important clients. They're our most important customers. You, as a, a counsel here, partner here, are the you're just as much important to my income as any other client, right? You're responsible for my revenue and my way of life. And by putting employees first, the people who are going to generate hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue for the firm versus our smaller clients who may, even our best client generates, you know, 200 a year tops, right? Um, Because of the way we we can uh, do things efficiently. Employees are first. So Herb Kelleher was the one who kind of put me down that path, even without delving into it more or formalizing that sort of mindset until the Cynic book came along to articulate the why. The the Cynic book being start with why. Start with why. So if you were to look back at yourself eight or 10 years ago and say, read this, you Mm -hmm. have to read this. If you're going to start your own business, what would those books be? The the three, four that are there, first of all, is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Dr. Stephen Covey. Uh, if more people read that book, it would be a better planet. Uh, that is a, an exceptional book to get people off their ass. Right? You have to start. You've got to get going. And you, you have to be an active person right? in every sense of the word. Yeah, that one was what be what I would start with. And then the second one that really put the engine behind that was Greg McKeon's Essentialism. Uh, very, very influential to me. Um, and the big message coming out of that is you control your own calendar. And if you don't control it, somebody else will. Uh, you can say no. Uh, no is a learned leadership skill. It's okay to go to sleep. It's okay to put things uh, to finish your work and put it down until tomorrow. Um all of those things combined with seven habits were very, uh, got me going in a big way. Um, and then the third would be, was Simon Sinek's start with why. Well, what I find fascinating about that is that the, those first three in some ways are not really business books per se. These are, these are human books, right? Yeah. And, and you're saying that, that the human side is really what, what was addressing that and your own personal growth as a human being, uh, was the most influential thing to be able to build your business, which is is interesting to me to hear. Well, yes, because I <laughs> I should also include in that the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, but that's a different that's, that's a last, that's a last, different uh, story. Yeah, last year's podcast. Fair enough. <laughs> um, it, and I, that should have been number one, quite honestly. Uh, but the but you're right that there's a lot of personal growth that needed to happen in my instance. I mean, I was I went to law school. I didn't go to MBA. I knew nothing about business or anything else. And in order to get my mind as it turns out, in order to get my mind right, those books about personal efficiency and uh, values and direction, discipline and outlook, attitude, those sorts of things. Yeah, that was critical in order to being what I hope now is a good leader as I struggle with management. Right. And that, and that circles back to the original quote you said from Richard Branson, which is the fact that, you know, I don't remember exactly what it was, but Say it again. But I don't have a work life. I don't have a regular home life. I have a life. Right. And your home life is your personal life and your personal growth. And if you're focused on your personal growth and you recognize that you are a growing person, that's going to naturally influence the business that you do in a better way to do business and recognize that this is a this is a personal growth machine as well as it is as a business growth machine. And putting those two together can really make you very successful. Well, I, 
I hope so. And I also hope that uh, by focusing as much as I do on making this as an enjoyable place to work as I can. And work sucks sometimes. There's no question about that. But what I enjoy is different from what you enjoy. What's different from what Alex or David or Christine enjoys, right? But if we all give the flexibility to go have make those choices, that that in and of itself, I think, provides a huge piece of cohesion for us. Uh, but it takes the confidence of me knowing that I'm living a, a fulfilling existence in and out of this place, that I can come and go as I please, and I want to extend that that. Uh, opportunity to others. Yeah. So it makes a difference. So today you're looking at a, at a law firm today and you mentioned cohesion, uh, going back to the word cohesion and bringing this all together into a firm where you now have, I don't know, 14, 15 employees. What are some of the biggest challenges today that you see in maintaining this personal growth, business growth, intentional environment that you originally stumbled on, but then intentionally created when you pivoted all those years ago to Stanton Law. So what are the challenges that you're having today to maintain that? It is balancing uh, balancing the need for structure with the kind of lifestyle that we lead, right? Um, getting a partner level attorney who I have made the promise and the commitment and will keep it, that they can bill as many hours and as much as they want in order to uh, satisfy their why against the need to budget and know how much my income is going to be and pay the expenses and get a projection, uh, get them to budget. Right, that's very difficult th- to balance that structure with the, f- the with the freedom that that is the 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 sort of foundation of of, of our practice. So, if if freedom is an, is an essential value of the practice of Stan Law, or the business of Stan Law, and you're describing an inherent tension between the freedom that you want and the structure that you need in order to build a business and grow a business. How do you address that challenge? What you, you tell do? me? Am I doing a good job with it? You have quit. We're recording now, so we'll have to talk about this offline. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. But I'm, I'm just curious. You know, we don't have to talk about specifics, but how do you address that? Because I, I see it every day. There is that tension and, and it's not an easy challenge. So I would say that the, the lesson that I am learning is a lot of patience with this. And and by that, I mean, I want things to happen. I'm, I'm by nature an impatient person. And I am seeing that, look, to, to get these reports in place and to get a dashboard that is going to provide information to motivate people, that's going to take Beth, our controller, a, a little bit of time to do and get underway. And it doesn't have to be done by Friday. It needs to be done by the Friday after next after next, right? But it's going to take some, it's going to take some leeway in order to do. And I, I, I've learned that working a little bit towards something every day is we're going to get there, right? If we look at what we accomplished last year with bringing on a new marketing company and we looked, we brought a new, in a new website, we hit a record for revenue. All of these things were good, right? We have recruited the council. I feel like I'm a, I'm failing on recruiting counsel right now, but it'll come back around. And so that sort of patience as I wait for the structure to get into place to make sure that it's right, um, that's been the, it's been the lesson. Um, with hiring a business coach was good. Uh, I will point out that uh, hiring a virtual administrator has been one of the things that has, has catapulted my um, serenity into another wow. level. So it's trying to My, find those those tools to address that tension, uh, both in mm-hmm. your personal life and in the firm life. If you're looking today at, at yourself and your practice, who would you describe now 
as the most influential uh, influences that you have today or mentors you have today and, and what do they provide you? I have a very good business coach who is, his name is William Fadul and he's uh, through the alternative board. Uh, he has certainly taken the time over the past several years to learn our business, to learn our culture, uh, to understand what is important. And as we have brought him on into an increased role now as sort of an advisor, not just a coach, uh, he would be one who, who is, who, who is influential in these things. Um, I would point out that each of the attorneys who are here brings new things to the table as I learn that how to motivate you is different than how to, and what support you need is different than Christine or, or Emily, an associate. But I, the, the two other books that I would say have, have resonated with me lately would be James Clear's uh, Atomic Habits hmm. uh, and learning to be even more disciplined than McKeon would push out. And then uh, Adam Grant's Think Again, which has kind of knocked, uh, knocked me down a peg or two to really think maybe I don't have this figured out. Maybe I do need to keep an open mind about the way other people are looking to do this and figuring out a way to delegate so that I can go do what I'm good at, which is develop business and provide leadership, not management. I'm not a manager. I really like the part about learning the most from the people that work with you and work for you. I, I like that one. That was good for me. That was very yeah. affirming. So, <laughs> so let me ask you the, the following question. Uh, the, Stanton Law, when we think about it, you talk about it being an entrepreneurial law firm. Mm -hmm. And we're talking to business owners here and small business owners and people who are trying to scale their businesses. What is the difference between a law firm and an entrepreneurial law firm? I think that an entrepreneurial firm has to be more clever, has to be more practical, and has to see itself as solving problems rather than practicing law. It's all over our website and it's something I'm pretty proud of that if we start considering these things to be business issues rather than legal problems, there's a whole new set of opportunities out there in order to get to a good answer and a good outcome. And business folks are inherently scared of lawyers. And I don't mean that in terms of we're intimidating physically, although some of us are pretty well put together. Others of us, I mean, other folks look at this and they're scared of runaway bills. They're scared of uh, getting involved in the, the mire of litigation, all these other things. And if I can take that fear away and to put it in business terms for folks, then they're better off. And I think it takes an entrepreneurial mindset of problem solving. And as Dr. Covey would say, starting with the end in mind and then finding out the path to get there. Perhaps we use the law litigation, uh, mediation, alternative resolution, uh, all of those things as tools, but not the only path to get to a good business result. Uh, that to me is the, the essential part of being an entrepreneurial law firm. Problem solving instead of problem making. So I have one final question, which you know, this new podcast is, we're calling it the Been There, Do This podcast. And if you were to look at your look back at yourself at Todd Stanton of eight years ago, who probably had a little more hair, I would think, uh, and advise yourself eight to ten years ago, hey man, little Todd Stanton, mm -hmm. I've been there. You should do this. What would that be? In the broadest sense, I would have started delegating and finding other specialty resources to bring on board. I would not have tried to solve all those problems myself. Right. So the virtual assistant would be a good example. 
right? I tried to manage my calendar. I tried to manage my email. I tried to do all these other things. If I had put the $35 an hour that we spend on a virtual assistant uh, towards that later, I don't know how much more productive I would be. Uh, we brought on Erica McNichol back in what November. My calendar is full. I don't, I'm not checking emails all the time. I'm being much more efficient. That would have been something. I could also say the same thing about a network administrator, right? Or a business coach who's going to come in and get their hands dirty. I would have, I would have outsourced a lot of those things and been more, been more casual, been more willing to accept an expense for the trade-off of the revenue that was coming rather than trying to be, oh, I was too short-sighted. I think it would be one way to say it. I wasn't aware that you could be more casual, Todd. <laughs> Not casual in the sense that I don't have a collar on my shirt, wise ass. It is more casual in the sense that I would have I would have been more willing to take on more expenses earlier, knowing that it's going to pay off. So uh, that's it. Reminds me, by the way, of the the book I think I shared with you. Uh, who not how? You know, mm-hmm. asking the question, who can help me? Seek yeah. out the sources, the resources, the mentors, the and the people to help you do what you need to do, as opposed to trying to do it all on your own. That's what I'm hearing. And yes. And, and one of the reasons that that's the case is I expect my clients to do that. Right. I I was just a little hard headed to learn that the, the, the skill set that I bring or that we bring to a small business uh, should be something that they outsource. And since I was a small business, I I needed to go look for other service providers who could do it more efficiently than I could. And let me go do the stuff I'm good at. I spun my wheels in the wrong gear for a pretty long time. And even today, uh, the inefficiencies of some of the ways we do things just drives me bananas. But that's where the patience comes in. I have to understand that we're we're working towards it. And yet today was hard, but tomorrow will be easier if we put this we put this in place. Well, those are great closing words. Today's hard. Tomorrow will be easier. And Rome was not built in a day. So, Todd, thank you for coming on the podcast today. I appreciate you being here. Thank you, Josh. Good job. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Been There, Do This podcast. I'm your host, Josh Joel. If you'd like to reach out to me, check out www.joshjoel.com and be sure to follow me on LinkedIn. If you think this is as important as we do, please be sure to share this episode with your friends and leave us a great review wherever you listen to your podcasts. As always, we thank you for your support and look forward to seeing you next time.